Hi, this is Tamson Granger. This is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamson and Dan read the paper on uh, Thursday, mm-hmm. December 21st, 2023. It's kind of our 2023 winter solstice show. Wouldn't you say, Dan? Yes, because that's the day it is, right? Right. So Apparently, I don't know if today's the shortest day or tomorrow's the no, shortest day. No, today's the shortest day. I don't know day. when today's the shortest, the shortest day. day is. It's almost over. Really? Yeah. But, I mean, this... It's like three o'clock. It's getting dark. I'm just telling you, it's, uh, this is it. Okay. I'm ready because you mm. know what that means. What does it mean? From here on out, days get longer. Days get longer, yes. Okay. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Okay. I'll move you there. So we're, we're, we're in the thralls getting ready for uh, Christmas. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> yeah. The tree is up. It's not been decorated. Well, that's your department. I have to dig my way into the ornaments. Yeah. Get those ornaments on the tree. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know. But we've done some Christmassy stuff. Some. Yeah, right? we'll, we'll get to We're, that. You know, Sadie has been ma- making massive amounts of Christmas cookies. Yeah, we have that, yes. So the burden is off me. I, I don't know if I'll have to lift a spatula at this point. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I have, I do have a big week planned. Do you? Weekend planned, yes. I'm really? going to a cookie party. Well, that's tomorrow. And I have to take four dozen cookies. Well, when are you going to make them? As soon as I finish with you, yes. <laughs> really? Yes, I'm on it. You're not taking Sadie's? I'm not taking Sadie's cookies. No, okay. I think they expect you to you know, have matching cookies. Oh, all right. All four dozen. Oh, okay. One variety. Oh, is that right? Yeah. You don't take a variety? No. Okay. No, you make your specialty you and then everybody those, gets it. Those. So you end up with a variety because I got it. everybody I get it. gets I a few it's, it's, of it's, everybody else. It's, it's Henry Ford invented this. It's, uh, you know, mass why manufacturing. Is that, why is that even remotely supposed to be I'm funny? I'm telling you, that it's not funny. It's true. Everybody, Henry Ford everybody specializes cookie parties? In, no, everybody specializes in one thing. They bring it together. That's not And it, at the it, end, that, everybody no, ends up with uh, this uh, wonderful no. uh, assortment. Yeah. It's just to eliminate... Work so that you have it's a industrial variety of planning. cookies. You, you make one batch of cookies. You go to a party and you end up with a whole variety to same. share with your family. So you don't have to do like my grandmother yeah. did: fill the attic with tins is, of different. This is cookies. totally Henry Everyone, Ford. Totally, no, Henry. not even close. You break down the, the manufacturer of an item into particular tasks. You have one person focus on each task and nothing else. They specialize in one thing. But by the end, you combine everyone's talents and you end up with a great, you know, product, which in this case is an array of cookies. Sort of. Thank you. Sort of. Yes. There you go. Okay. So in any event, we Wait spoke. I, I think we had more things to talk about. What? What? In terms we're, of we're, we're going Christmas preparations. Go ahead. I I don't know. You 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 broke my train of thought with this Henry Ford madness. <laughs> it will come to you. Okay. So uh, just jump in and any Christmas thought you have. I was going to start talking about Christmas trees, which is right, you know, toward the mainstream of everything. You know, we talk about Christmas trees every week. It's becoming like baseball. <laughs> Can you give the audience a break? Well, but here's what why. What do you want to say about Christmas here's trees Here's what we now. have to say. Here's the deal. We've been talking up the greater acceptance and purchases of artificial trees, and it turns out that uh, there's a lot going on in terms of natural Christmas trees. We've been giving them short shrift. And the Times had two articles about natural Christmas trees this week. One very interesting article, which I can talk about, which is about uh, what's involved in growing a natural Christmas tree, including all the expenses and why it costs as much as it does. And the second, uh, you have an article, I think, about what happens to the tree, how the trees affect 
the actual landscape. Isn't that what your article is about? Well, sort of, yeah. All right. Well, let me start with mine because that okay. way we'll get off to a strong start. Uh, yes. So it's apparently, how long do you think it takes to grow a Christmas tree? Honey? Ten years. Jeez. Wow. You know your stuff. Ten years. Ten years. You know, I've been living in Cranberry, New Jersey, which has like five Christmas trees. Right, but farms. let me give you an idea of the expenses involved, and then a couple miles. I'll just race through them, okay? No, I don't. I don't really know. That's all I know. You, you, yeah. This is. But it's a, it's a long process. You know, my brother Bryce raised Christmas trees. Oh, I don't remember that. There's a certain moment, and maybe it was in the '90s. Yeah. Where everybody said Christmas trees. That's where the money is. Right. They cost almost nothing to plant. Yeah. All you have to do is weed whack a little, mm-hmm. and uh, a few years later, it you you know, you get all these profits, and it's uh, you know it's a good investment. No, if you've got uh, land sitting there, yeah. it's a good way. Let to me use explain land. what Bryce didn't know. So this is an article about a big time Christmas tree operation uh, in Belvedere, New Jersey. So they plant 10,000 Christmas trees on 70 acres. What does it cost? It costs $50,000. And you don't never know how a crop's going to come out because farming is farming, right? We throw money in the dirt and pray for the best. That's what they say. Okay, fine. The biggest expense is labor. 30% of a tree's cost is tied to year-round care, shearing and shaping by hand. All right, so that costs money. Annual cost for tree fertilizer, $35,000 a year. That's up from $15,000 before the pandemic. Actually, that went up to that. Now it's kind of stabilized a little lower. How many that. trees are we talking about? Uh, what the guy? 10,000 trees. There's a lot of trees. Wait a minute. No. 10,000 trees and it's $35,000 in... Fertilizer. Fertilizer? A year. That's, not, that's too much. I'm going to... Uh, it's got to be more than 10,000 trees. Let me start at the beginning here. Obviously, we have to focus on this a little harder. Yes, 10,000 trees. Well, you know, he does 10,000 a year. He's got more on his lot because it takes 10 years to make a tree. Okay, so it's not... It's more like 100,000 right, right. trees. So he's planting 10,000 right. each year. Yeah, yeah, okay. But he's fertilizing... 100,000. 100,000? After a customer picks out a tree, the workers remove loose needles, and uh, they put it, uh, you know, they take a bale of twine on a machine, uh, a baling machine. The twine... Each year, $1,400, all right? The baler machines cost a total of $69,000, all right? That costs money. Hopefully, they work more than one year. Yes. He has a dozen tractors, including a 2002 model he bought last year for $80,000, nearly as much as when it was new. Uh, bottom line is, the guy says, they're, they're in, they now charge $105 for a seven-foot tree. They charge $15 a foot. This is a Belvedere, you cut them yourself type thing, Belvedere, New Jersey. Of course, when I sold trees a million years ago, we sold them in New York City for $15 a tree, let alone a foot, but costs have gone up. They had some economists that they consulted with who said that it's a good business because you make a 50% profit. And the point of these fellows in Belvedere was, no, you make a 20% profit if you take into account all the costs I just described. And they said, look, you're also taking a chance. There are good years for Christmas trees and bad. This is a good year for Christmas trees. Well, Demand is up. So Bryce did this. Yeah. Also, our neighbor Bill Bunting did yes. this. You know. Yeah. But they didn't have all this equipment. And I don't think they made any money. <laughs> Am I right about that? Well, they didn't lose any money. Well, so that's usually in business you have to make money to make it worthwhile. Um, I, I, um, I don't know. We'll have to talk to Bryce. All right. So, I'm, I, 
He's out of the business Look, now. Bill Bunting doesn't do anything, and he doesn't where make any he money. Doesn't make money. Well, okay, and he does. So and the truth he is, he made no. He he doesn't do anything. No, <laughs> every year I don't think he had to do too much. I think he yeah. the the big labor yeah. for his trees was What's putting out the little cardboard sign that said Christmas trees well, had with pl- the arrow he had to plant down them. his driveway. He had to plant them. He had to plant yeah. them. And he probably They're makes, very small when you play. It's not them. a Hampton. If you make seventy five dollars a year, it's not a business, all right? It's, it's it's something. It's like people come by and they take a tree from his property. I'm just telling you, talking. He's about not expenses. Compar- I'm explaining the expenses. All right. Well, if you're doing it on a commercial level, yeah, it's different. It is different. Okay. All right. So you were gonna the effect on the environment. It's good, right? It's all good. Well, it, it, yeah. Christmas tree farms offer yeah a gift to wildlife. Ah. Ah, oh, they mean the animals. So you would think, no, well, yeah. Um, you would think that um, just planting these trees to cut them down is a no-no. You know, the ge- generally you think yeah. of cutting trees down as a bad thing. Right. You know, and planting them just to cut them down seems like murder. Yeah. Um, but actually, um, you know, there are a lot of good aspects about them they're pulling carbon from the atmosphere they're cleansing the air helping to clean the drinking water keeping the landscape undeveloped preventing you know impervious surfaces so where you have a tree farm you don't have a parking lot right. you don't have driveways okay mm-hmm. uh, due to development so right. you know that's that's part of this stuff but um it also they also can provide excellent habitats for wildlife, especially birds and mammals, that prefer open spaces at forest edge. Okay. Okay. So they don't want to be in the big developed forest. There's a value to young trees, and uh, you know sometimes there's kind of a scarcity of that because we have this deer problem now. Mm-hmm. So the deer are eating everything, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's uh, growing, and there's not that lower level and mid level. Uh, available to all these wildlife. So, um, uh, you know, this article just says, uh, you know, all these things are growing. He said um, Christmas tree farms are ecologically superior to golf courses or uh, athletic fields, partly because I think they do actually um, use less um, fertilizers and insecticides and pesticides. Mm -hmm than uh, some other yeah. uh, things. So there you have it. We should have, uh, you know, it you know, encourages all these birds and pollinating insects and so on. So, you know, maybe Bryce should grow some more trees. All right. Well, it's a word in support of natural Christmas trees. All right. Seven Fishes. This is your department. Hopefully the last Christmas tree article we're reading. Okay. This time. It's a seasonal discussion. And and to summarize it, right, real trees good, fake trees bad. Sure. I'll go with that. Yeah. Unless you're just talking about, you know, efficiency. Hmm. I'm I'm with you. I'll go with real trees. Okay. And and we also, of course, uh, chop up the tree Mm -hmm. and use it for sort of, you know, use the branches to cover plants. Right. Give a little... Um, sanctuary. Yeah. All right. Back to food. Yeah. Which is our main interest at this time of year, really. Uh, 
when you think about it. Um, seven Fishes, Feast of the Seven Fishes. So a big article in the New York Times about the Feast of the Seven Fishes. And of course, what, what I didn't really realize is it is a, you know, I've known about this tradition where uh, largely American, Italian, Catholics make a huge fish feast on Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. okay? And uh, it consists of, theoretically, seven different fishes. I don't know exactly why seven. But anyway, what I didn't realize, that even though I'm saying American-Italian, Italian-Americans, it's an Italian-American tradition. It's not necessarily a tradition from the old country, mm-hmm. okay? That I didn't really know. Okay. And so there was an article in the New York Times about the Feast of the Seven Fishes, and the best things. Of, what's the best thing about New York Times articles? Always the comments. Okay, you got to even if like us, you love to read the paper, paper, yeah. right? You got to go online and read the comments. And the comments here were all about many people wanted to share their traditions, how they did it. Uh, Polish people wrote in and said, we do this kind of thing too. But a lot of Italians wrote in and said, this only happens in a small part of Italy in the south. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't do this in Rome. You mm-hmm. know, we might eat a little fish uh, the night before. You're supposed to be fasting. So for an Italian, fasting as opposed to for... Um, a Jew, fasting for an Italian is not eating meat, but eating a lot of other stuff, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, and so, anyway, so it's a, a good article. has some ideas about how you could do some fish without not without going crazy. I know we have friends who do this, and they do go crazy. It was um, sort of memorialized in a, an episode of The Bear. Right, I remember that. that Wonderful TV show. If you yeah. haven't seen The Bear, you got to watch The Bear. And uh, there was a huge episode. In fact, it was extra long. It was like twice yes, the length of the normal episode. It felt longer than that. And it was Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. playing the mother of uh, the the um, lead character in The Bear. Right. The, the matriarch of the family. And pretty much going crazy with this food preparation. Um, yeah, and meanwhile, in the living room, various members of the family are getting into holiday type, uh, you know, uh, discussions and yeah, craziness. It was, it was like I mean, your, it was uh, complete madness. Right. It was hard to watch. It was. Yeah, and of course, it was awful. My thoughts the yeah. whole time was, "Is this what I'm like on Thanksgiving?" You know, <laughs> I was completely traumatized right. by it. Uh, but. One of the comments that came in was somebody who said, you know, there's a very nice movie called Feast of the Seven Fishes. Yeah. Um, that if you haven't seen, you ought to watch it. And uh, you, can, you can get it on Netflix, apparently. And, uh, you know, more than one person said, uh, mentioned watching this. And one person said they even started doing Feast of the Seven Fishes because of watching this movie. And, of course, the premise of the movie is, you know, doing things from the old country. Is this this a documentary or is this No, it's a movie. The director, Robert Tunnell. No. And it came out in 2019. I don't think it was a huge success. It gets 83% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. We can can watch that. So I think it's worth a watch. You know, it's probably one of the... You know, a lot of... um, Christmas yeah. movies that we enjoy watching are not great works of art. 
No. Uh, so this uh, might be okay worth a watch. We should uh, we should probably do this soon. Yeah. yeah. Because Christmas Tonight. is coming. Tonight. Tonight comes to mind. Yes. Okay. Great. Uh, all right. So there was an article uh, in the Times titled "I Kid You Not: Charlie Brown Christmas, a Hanukkah Classic." And not only was this in the Times, it was in on page one of the New York Times a few days ago. And um, we're all familiar with Charlie Brown Christmas. There is, I think there's one Charlie Brown Christmas show. There's a bunch of Charlie Brown cartoon specials, but I think there's only one Christmas one. And, you know, I all, my vague recollection of it is pleasant, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's... So you're not... So you, you know, uh, you notice who wrote the article? Well, I don't know that... He's their TV reviewer. Uh, James... Uh, I Pum- thought he was the music guy. No, that's not the music guy. Oh, okay. James, uh, the music guy is uh, Charlie something else. Uh, James Ponowozik. I mean, he, he, I would say, I, I read him every once in a while. He does their TV reviews. And I would say, generally speaking, my view of, of his view of, of television uh, is that he's pretty much consistently uh, completely wrong. I mean, he, he's, he's, so like, you, he's no, got awful you, taste. You, you've got me on this podcast and you're going to say you don't like... Charlie Brown. Christmas. No, no, no. I'm saying I don't like Ponowozik. Uh I, I just no, said. No, but yeah, you, I, I said it's you're fine. You're about to disagree with everything. No, no, he no, says. no, no. I said it's fine. Uh, all it's right. Fine. You really? know what I like you about said it's fine. Yeah. It's but awesome. he says it's it's great, amazing. It's yeah. one of the best. And, no, it's, it's, it's works just, of TV. It's several ever. Bricks, no, it's it's not it's not halfway amazing. It's okay. The music. Is the music is great, and okay. that's you Vince, agree. The music is great. Vince Guaraldi. Yeah. Okay. Piano. The first time I heard piano jazz, I am sure in my life. Right. Was watching Charlie. Same okay. with you, right? Charlie Brown Christmas Special. It was fantastic piano music, and it's and it was fine. It was a nice half hour. Maybe I've seen it twice. Uh, good, but no, he's writing about. Not only is he saying he quotes some people says the greatest show ever on television. I'm interested in that. That's obviously not correct. But his point of view and what makes it puts it on page one. I guess I can't even imagine why. Is that he says it actually is. Uh, a show that, uh, that uh, I don't know how do he put it, I ought to quote him, that really reflects a Jewish sensibility, even though it's called a Charlie Brown Christmas. Well, he, he mentions it has some very Jewish things themes, like yeah. ambivalence. Yeah. Like Charlie Brown can't get into Christmas. Right. Can't really understand right. what Christmas is. He's running around trying to get it explained to him. Right. And so what's interesting about this, and apparently this was controversial at the time, um, is that, uh, you know, it's a standard story about, uh, you know, all the, all the young kids and the Peanuts characters are running around shopping for Christmas and going crazy with decorating and whatever. And Charlie Brown is looking for the true meaning of Christmas. And then in the last few minutes of the show, what happens is Linus uh, stands on a spotlighted stage and gives the story of Christmas uh, from uh, the New Luke, Testament, yeah, reciting a passage, and I'm quoting it from the Gospel of Luke, in which a band of angels proclaiming the coming of the Christ the Lord. Right, and it, what was controversial at the time, he said, was is it, that's a real religious method, or we really want to put that in a prime time show, and they convince people to do it. And this is actually one of the main things that appeals to this reviewer, as a Jew, he says, because you know it feeds into this searching ambivalence, and so-and-so. So I'm reading this, I'm well, saying to myself... And it sort of recognizes yeah. that it is, Christmas is, is about Christmas. Right, okay. That Christian is 
Christmas is Christian. I understand that. Okay. But my, and, what, which my, was scary for actually the um, powers that be who were putting who were paying for the show at the time. Yeah. This is this is way too Christian. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah. they were reluctant well, about it. Well, they're not entirely because, wrong. Because you know, you have you you have <laughs> you know Frosty the Snowman, Ru- Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, all these classics that don't mention Jesus. Right. 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 So he said so his article basically says that was the key feature of it and as he he goes into various themes he says and as a Jew uh, you know that feature, the whole pitch of the whole classic, actually appealed to me. It resonated with me. Okay, and I'm saying to myself, that's wrong. I mean, I like the show fine. I certainly don't mind them, you know, getting into the Gospel of Luke. But let me tell you, it, it, it turned. I'm saying to myself, how can this be that this guy was turned on by this? And you read the story, it turns out, well, it's a little complicated. He actually was raised Catholic, all right, and only, but he had one parent who was Catholic. And one who was Jewish. And only later, as he became perhaps an adolescent, perhaps even a little older than that, he embraced his Jewishness and now he identifies as a Jew. Well, well he married a Jewish that's, woman. That's all fine. But what I'm saying is that's the whole difference in the story. Okay, If you are raised Catholic and someone says, uh, here's a passage from the Gospel of Luke, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to look at this in a critical context, how we're all reacting to the greater story here. You think about it. It's, it causes you to have be thoughtful. If you are raised Jewish and have no exposure to that, you you're tune out. You, yeah, say what the hell are they talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, is this like a Marvel superhero I never heard of? What? And then you turn the channel. I mean, you're you're not watching that. Not because it's awful. Not because of anathema. Not because it's evil. It's just dull. It's boring. It's got nothing. You don't know what they're talking about. All right. So, I mean. <laughs> How they convince well, I think them. he's sort of saying actually that, that explains what they're talking about. It might, but you're not watching the explanation. I'm telling you, you're not. If there's anything that's less, that's I more boring. I think a boring, lot of kids did, Dan. I don't think so. I think if there's anything that's more boring than hearing about your own religion, it's hearing about someone else's religion, especially if you're nine years old. And, uh, you know, I'm telling you, that did not resonate. Now, again, the music was very good. Uh, that was fine. And, uh, you know, Peanuts is Well, fine. he also says it has another theme that about being kind of an outsider, about right. being able to live in your own way and be your own person. He finds a tree yeah. that uh, means something to him, yeah. even though it doesn't fit into all the right. Instagrammable images mm-hmm. of Christmas trees. Right. And et cetera and that's, so forth. I think that's totally so, cool. I think that's, that's right. great. So, so that's part of what appeals to him. But he also says, you know, that in his mind, that's a Jewish theme as well. Being an outsider. Maybe. Uh, I don't, but I think it's, it's pretty narrow. I think that's a little bit, it gives a lot of other ethnic ethnicities a pretty short shrift. I think a lot of ethnicities feel that way. I don't think that's right. particularly Jewish. He well, thinks of it as Jewish because he's, he's half Jewish. He was saying okay. It was a good special. It might have resonated particularly if you were Catholic, but I think it was worth seeing. And the music was fine. The music was better than fine. The music was very good. But to see this guy work it out in his through seen through the very narrow lens of his own experience is kind of fun. It's off. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of alarming. You're still mad at him for being raised Catholic. No, I'm not mad at him. I'm mad at the times for saying Jewish person would kind of really get into this into this show uh, for the following reasons. The answer is no, 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 no. 
I mean, I think I'd like to think a Jewish person recognized the virtues of the show such as I did and enjoyed it. But uh, don't get carried away as if it resonates particularly with well, Jewish people. Well, what do you think of doesn't. him saying that the Linus character is kind of a Jewish well, that's, archetype? Okay, now that, that's a very good question. That's, that's Only you who's married to me would know to ask me that question. This is why we're married, Tamsin, because we connect on a, on a dangerous level. Uh, okay, I have two minds about that. Yeah, he says Linus is Jewish type character, which is very analytical, if not overly analytical. And in one part, I said to myself, well, that's, I, I, that feels like a compliment to me. I embrace the idea of being overly analytical. <laughs> but on the other hand, isn't that sort of the kind of things that people describe as an ethnic trope? Like yeah. certain ethnicities, they can sing and dance. Yeah. And certain ethnicities, they're good athletes. And the Jews... They're a little anxiety-ridden because they overanalyze right. things. Catholics are overwhelmed with guilt. The Jews are... Yeah, well, Jews right. got that too. But, uh, <laughs> but so I, I, where do you come on that? You understand that you, want, you sense that immediately too. You, you saw that. It's, it's a cliche yeah, on the one hand and it's a compliment well, to just, the other. That just points out exactly what you're saying. What do you mean? That I'm overanalyzing? General, no, the generalizations or the tropes uh, are never true. You know that there are people like that in all groups. Yes, you know, yeah. so it doesn't quite it doesn't quite work. But yes, you know. yeah, so I don't know how to take that. Well, it just you can take it either way you want. You can say, okay, that that truly makes this universal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no matter what uh, scripture you're reading from. Yeah. yeah. Or you can say, well, you know, the, that's not. I don't think that's a Jewish thing. Or it could be that you can say he's wrong. My reaction to the whole thing is I've been over analytical because I'm Jewish. That's uh, that could be what's going on here. No, you're funny because you're Jewish. Is it? How many times <laughs> do people have to tell you that? Oh my God! I told you there's something in the. You're going to go to a playbill now, which uh, they, they interview Roger. Bork. I don't know how many times people have said to me, "Yeah, that you remind them of Woody Allen." Yeah, and I cannot get it. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I, and the I, only thing I can think is they don't know any Jewish people. Woody Allen is the only Jewish person they've seen right. on TV or yeah. in the movies. Yeah. And uh, People used to tell me that when I was younger, and I would say, don't you mean Dick Cavett? And, <laughs> and they would look at me and say, ah, I said, that's all right, let's talk about something else. Uh, so, um, all right, we went to see a play. This is part of the holiday season, too. I mean, I, we're taking our time with this, but that's good because I enjoy these conversations. Um, we went to see Buena Vista Social Club, which is uh, a musical that just opened on Broadway to uh, very good reviews it, a few days ago. It didn't open Oh, on not Broadway. on Broadway. The Atlantic Theater is well, off-Broadway. It's, it's in this teeny theater yeah, on right. 20th Street. 199 seats. 199 seats. <laughs> yeah, because the union rule is 200. And uh, we went during this, you know, generally this is not a good time to go to New York. Right. Because everybody's going to New York. It's like, you know, no one goes to the restaurants uh, because they're too crowded. Yeah. <laughs> Same um, idea, right. And so, but I felt I wanted to go to this because we know that album. Yeah. And, you know, I had a feeling it'd be good to see this, to hear this music. Yeah. All right. And it was... A limited run. I think the run's been extended. As of, yes. And it was hard to get tickets, but tickets were available this week because everybody else is uh, going shopping or, you know, flying to wherever. Right. Um, so we drove part of the way in and then took the train. Right. Okay. And let me just tell the audience. Yeah. The whole time, you didn't speak. <laughs> 
and want to be late. Were, you were nervous about the traffic, yeah. nervous about the train, right. pissed off when the train was late. Yeah. You know, it's it's so anxiety producing. I have put together this whole adventure. Yeah. And you seem to suffer the whole time. Can I explain something? Believe me, Let me, when we got finally into the play, we're listening to the music, I'm saying, I don't even want to ask him if he's enjoying it, okay? I'm afraid. Can I tell you something? Because if he's not enjoying Here's it... Here's something you're overlooking, what? okay? Unless you are filled with anxiety and nervous the entire time like that, you'll be late. But by being that way, you're on time. That's the way the world... It's like carrying an umbrella. That's why it doesn't rain, Okay. Now and you it's know. It's got to be a Jewish thing. Is that is that a Jewish thing? Boy, we're going to get to Dan there Greenberg later. There are people in the world who can enjoy themselves even in the traffic. No, there isn't. Nobody and there was no traffic. Oh, my God. We did fine. We did fine. Well, anyway. I, I was at the helm. I was, you know, driving. Uh, it was a fun show. You, 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 you need to like Latin okay, music. Okay, but you, you jumped right. ahead a little bit, okay? Because right. not everybody's going to know this. Buena Vista Social Club was a very popular album record album that came out in the 1990s. Here's how it came about. And I did a little research. I had forgotten some of this. But we were on to it in the mid-90s. What happened was that uh, uh, Rye Cooter, and we knew Rye Cooter. We'd even seen him perform. Famous songs, Every Woman Crazy About an Automobile. Yeah. You're yeah. nodding, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the way the girls are in Texas. Yeah. All right. Classics. Go on, move on, move Rye on. Rye Cooter comes up with this project the, in a to uh, record some music in Cuba. In particular, there's some musicians from Mali who are going to come over and are going to perform with Cuban musicians. And for some reason, they're doing a particular type of music. Well, what happens is, long story short, it doesn't work out. The, 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 the musicians from Mali can't make it. So there he is in Cuba, and he had to, it's tough to get there. He had to go through Mexico. So he wanted to make it worth his while. And he decided, how he did this, I don't know, that he was going to record what's called sewn music, S-O-N music. Uh, and here's what sewn music is, basically. Uh, and this is re was reflected in the show itself. The, a lot of music was being played in these social clubs in Cuba, in mm. going back a long ways, but certainly in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Mm. Right? The clubs were segregated. All right? And you had, in particular, was called uh, black social clubs. They were playing what they were calling Afro-Cuban music. Um, and it had its own tradition, its own kind of performers. And he found, uh, well, here's what happened to that music. What happened with that music was, come the revolution, Fidel Castro, mm -hmm. they closed down those social clubs. And the reason they gave for clo closing down the social clubs, or there may have been other reasons, uh, was that they wanted to have a cross-cultural society, which had a shared music. And the Afro-Cuban music that was played in the black social clubs was strictly African in a way. It was sort of underscoring their ethnic difference. And they wanted to have the new society, one that did not underscore ethnic differences, that was more in the way of everyone's having a shared culture. Hmm. And that's why they closed those social clubs. The social clubs closed. The musicians who were, you know, not making a huge living, but making some kind of living at those social clubs uh, were out of work were no longer popular, and that kind of music, that song music, went by the wayside. Uh, Ry Cooter comes, and he learns about this, and he gets together a bunch of these musicians who are now much older, who had played during that period, to, to perform music again so he can investigate and learn this music, and they put together an album, a record album, that becomes the Buena Vista Social Club, named after one of the, these social clubs. And it becomes a huge hit. 
and you were referring before, we liked that music. We bought that album, as many people did. And it is no not an obscure album. Mm-hmm. On the Rolling Stone list of 500 greatest albums of all time, it's right in the middle. It's 250. Mm-hmm. It's big time, mm-hmm. all right? It's great music. And uh, following that, very shortly, Wim Wenders made a documentary a year or two later about that whole experience and a performance by the Buenavista Social Club in New York. We saw that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what this play tries to capture. So, but what happened to Ry Cooter? I mean, he, he Ry Cooter is still Ry Cooter. I mean, he's... No, but he wasn't mentioned or anything. The the, the musical sort of... I can't account for what says they did. it's telling, sort of telling the story right. of Buena Vista Social Club. Right. Well, they... they, they can... I mean, they, they announced that it's not... It's just one of the stories right. or something like well, that. Well, no, what they're but doing it, is... It's not it, referred to at all. Well, that I, I I don't know if he's referred to or not. I didn't look through the playbook and for that he's purpose. he's not supposed to be that producer guy, is he? Or? No, no, oh, no, okay. absolutely not. But right. uh, but it's it's a, it's basically they wrote a story, a fictional story, to try to make it rise a level above a so-called jukebox musical so they could string these various numbers that were on the album together. In the same way, a little bit, the uh, girl from the North Country we saw, which was mm-hmm. Dylan music, which they mm-hmm. wove together in some kind of story. Mm-hmm. So you could compare it to Girl from the North Country uh, in that way. But the music is the music that was on that album, mm-hmm. which again is not Ry Cooter's music. It's just Ry Cooter assembled these folks. Okay. Just, uh, yeah. So Ry Cooter is. I didn't know if there's a story there. Like well, he no. Had a falling out. No. With if the, there is, I don't. Was I, not interested. I, 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 in I don't, I don't being know what part it is. Of the musical. Yeah, I don't think he. Okay. All right. He owns any rights here. So, in any event, so that's what we saw. And uh, how do you like it? Oh, it was great. I mean, because it was great uh, just uh, listening to that music for two hours. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that's yeah. I think, exactly my reaction. There, there, there's a little bit of a story, and it was okay. Yeah. Um, but um, the main thing was the music, the musicians, yeah. and the singers. And uh, there was dancing as well. Yeah. The and was, uh, I thought it was uh, it was excellent, highly enjoyable. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and I, it means more to me now having done the research because they did weave together parts of the story I just gave you, but now I'm getting it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't quite get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I would recommend it. Uh, the music is great. I mean, you don't have to go to the theater. You can just buy Buena Vista Social Club or dial it up on your Spotify. It's a great album, and there's something mm-hmm. about it. It's totally infectious. You just put it on, you'll get it. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we are yeah. aficionados of uh, Cuban music. We're not. No. But uh, do it. That, that's my advice. Buena Vista Social Club. Okay. Um, Wordle. We're going to talk about Wordle briefly. Well, the Times wrote an article about Wordle hints, how to do Wordle better. It and, did? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that's not the article I was referring to. Well, that's the article you sent me. Oh really? Yeah. I I thought I, I was trying to send you an article that says what we know about what we um, seven things we learned analyzing five hundred and fifty yeah, million. Yeah, it's the wordles. same thing. It's the same thing. Oh, okay. Okay. We're, we're on is the this same what thing. they learned? Okay. Number one, most popular starting word adieu. Yeah, but they're and say, it's the least successful. Yeah, they say it's it's not a it's, good thing. No. No. And uh, so the Wordle bot recommends slate. Yes. Yes. And I use house. Yes. Well, and, their point and, uh, is that uh, everyone thinks they got to stuff these vowels in there. And uh, that's not the way to do it. Well, well, it's not the way for the bots to do it. Well, the bot okay. doesn't think it's good. Well, the bots... But uh, they also say maybe human uh, wordle players 
have different needs than. <laughs> well, they're, they're hedging their bets on that one. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, all I'm saying is that uh, you know it's hard to argue with with the artificial intelligence. Uh, okay, so then the second thing is, but but just just to skip over the better words are stare and slate. Okay, right. If you're a bot, if you if, if you're a person, I think it works too. Um, people, you know, the bot uses Slate every day, yeah. which can be boring. Yes. Okay. Yes. Human players might like to, <laughs> would freed from the burdens of yes. mathematical right. precision, which would not be you. Um, Thank you. Uh, might uh, right. choose other words, right. and they say, you know, when holidays come around, right. they do use words like party, heart, right. bunny, ghost. Right. You know. Halloween people uh, use ghost. On Easter, people use bunny. That's because Christmas humans, time they use Mary as yeah. the first word. Yeah, that's why I'm with okay. the bots. I'm I'm on, I'm on with the bots. They also say that this is something weird. Most more people solve Wordle on their first guess than can be explained by chance. So they don't know why that is. Well, I think, although it might be because people are cheating. They say one out of every 250 uh, attempts at Wordle, people get it on the first yeah. guess, which well, is crazy. Well, they might be cheating. Well, but, um, you know, in some cases, yeah. they think it's because people start on one device and then move to another device. Yeah. And the device, you know, it's a, it's a different, it's a, it doesn't carry over your same game. Okay, let me sum this up in three you words. Know, they don't know. I, I, they don't yeah, know. They don't know. Okay. okay. Um, but the last most valuable thing is their last point. Yeah. Which is that the ones that are hardest to solve are often words that begin with a J. Yeah. Or end the with hardest a w- word ever. Yeah. Well, was it was, was jazzy. Jazzy. Begins with a J or has a double letter in it or ends with a Y. Yeah. So jazzy has all those things. Right. I you know, I get the the um, double letter thing because yeah. I never think of putting maybe we could just have another N there. Yeah. But, uh, but that's yeah. what we should, if you're stuck, you should say to myself, is it possible this begins with a J? Is it possible there's a double letter? Is it uh, possible? Right. Because that's All what right. we're going to do from now on. I'll keep that in mind. Okay, let's go from on. From now on. <laughs> let's go on. But oh. it's just funny that it was jazzy, and that's one of the nicknames we use for husband. Okay. Is jazzy. Hazzy. Hazzy. Yeah. All right. So let me, uh, let me just say one thing about, this is quick, or I, I could save this. Well, I want you go on to the next thing. I'll save it. Go. Go on to the uh, cookie cutter stuff. Well, yes, because it's seasonal. Yeah. So they had a story about uh, you know the biggest cookie cutter business in uh, the U.S. Yeah. And that's Ann Clark. Okay. So uh, even if you like cookie cutters, even if you have a lot of cookie cutters, and we do have a lot of cookie cutters. Have you seen our cookie no, cutter? No, I'm, I'm uh, highly ignorant of this. It's it's quite big. We have a fair amount. Yes. Okay. More than necessary. We, we don't do a heck of a lot of making cookies, no. rolling out, and cutting no. them out. It's very labor intensive. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. the only time we do it is Christmas for gingerbread yeah. cookies. But um, they say that uh, this company in Vermont makes an extraordinary percentage of all the cookie cutters in the U.S. Okay. Okay. That uh, And uh, they're successful. They're highly successful. Uh, and, they, you know, they sell, you, you don't know what brand your cookie cutter is, but they're selling through Williams-Sonoma and all these other um, businesses that you do know. Um, one of the reasons they're so successful is because they're a small business, they can change on a dime. Mm-hmm. They can, uh, you know, most of the cookie cutters are actually made in China or somewhere. Uh, and so, but they can, if it looks like a, a new trend is starting, they can yeah. respond to it instantaneously. Okay. They have, it, this is a good article 
to read online. Okay, in the New York Times. Because there are pictures? Uh, Not just because there's a picture. Okay, what's ahead in 2024? The cookie cutter tell, cookie cutters tell all because there's a video of the machine Uh that shapes the cookie cutter. Okay, so you start out with a circle and these things poke in, okay, and press the circle into the shape of a tree. Or a oh, really? gingerbread man. And it's mesmerizing. Really? It's totally cool. Anyway, I mean, that to me was the best part of the article. They also mentioned there are people who go crazy collecting cookie cutters. Mm. There was a lady who has over 5,000. Mm, that's not she too bad. She has a whole right. closet. Yeah. Mm. She has this cookie cutter closet with everything organized. And they tell the story of Ann Clark. She made a bunch of pig things. One year to sell it like a you right. know flea market art right. fair kind of thing, and the thing that really sold was the pig cookie cutter that oh. she I guess made, uh-huh. and uh, her husband said, "All right, let's do this," and they started this little business, huh. and uh, they go crazy, and and they do say that you know the cookie cutters will tell you you know what's going on in America at the time. Of course, the Barbie cookie cutter was right. big this year, uh-huh. like a profile of the Barbie and, uh, you know, obviously different holidays are reflected, uh, in, um, different things. One year, 2015, the Mason jar cookie cutter was the big deal. Really? Yeah. Okay. Another year it was a llama. So, so anyway, it's a cute story, but again, the video of the cookie cutter making machine mesmerizing okay all right so i'm gonna Dial pick up, it up I'll, I'll pick up one of those barbie cookie cutters for you that's what you need so you'll be all current. Yeah, i never liked one they also talk a lot about they have you know um they've sold a lot of uh silhouettes of political figures etc oh, mm. you know I I especially don't like the idea of just chomping into somebody's head. That's not my favorite thing. Okay. But I must be the only one. I don't know. All right. And you had... Uh, oh, I wanted to mention, um, you found an article, are low-fat dairy products really healthier? And the answer has to be no. Yes, they are. They are? They are. I mean, they say, well, the studies are still... Not all <laughs> the studies have been done. But it looks like... Um, um, the the whole uh, statement about uh, you know choose fat free or low fat yeah. um, uh, dairy products mm-hmm. that's healthier. Okay, came about in like the eighties. Yeah, when fat was a right. bad thing. Right. Okay, but um, since then, uh, most studies on the health effects of dairy fat have failed to find any benefits of right. prioritizing low-fat versions over whole. Right, but that's what I just said. So the low-fat stuff is not healthier. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I wasn't listening to you. Oh, so right. That's no, a, you're that's right. That's a new thing. Right. The low-fat right. okay. is not healthier. Okay. That's what I thought. All right. I was I was thinking that we were just talking about the fat. Okay. Okay. The fat is healthy. healthier. Yeah. Okay. And they say that butter and cream are associated with uh, a certain level of... Um, Raising cholesterol levels and so on. But other than that, yeah. and they're not even sure about that, other than that, um, milk products, yo- yogurt and um, 
cheese seem to be associated with the most possibly health benefits. Not only is the fat not bad for you, it might be good for you. Okay. Uh, cheese and uh, yogurt, partly because they are fermented, and fermentation generally benefits mm-hmm. uh, the gut, etc. Also, milk fat is naturally packaged in a unique structure called the milk fat globule membrane, which kind of protects it and slows down the process of it being, you know, absorbed into the digestive tract. So you feel fuller mm-hmm. longer. I mean, that's one of the reasons to eat fat. That's one of the reasons you eat butter on your toast in the right. morning. Mm-hmm. If you eat straight carbs, carbs run right through and you're hungry. Yeah. Uh, well, that's why people put later. butter into coffee now. The same idea. Sort of, but I mean, you know. Let's not go crazy here. All right. Yeah. Watch out for that kind of behavior. Harder cheese is better than uh, soft cheese. Uh, A lot lot of um, interesting revelations. So, whole milk is the way to go. It it is largely, you know, the whole dairy, whole fat dairy products are largely associated with um, better chances in health. All right, so we're going to end with two quick uh, obituaries, one which resonates with what we've been talking about, because uh, Dan Greenberg uh, passed away, and his famous book was called How to Be a Jewish Mother. Uh, and it's funny how that came about, because he was kind of writing pieces for Esquire, you know, satirical type pieces, and also for The New Yorker, uh, and doing all right, but not doing great. And he wanted to write a book, and he sits down with his agent, uh, no, I'm sorry, with a book publisher, uh, a fellow named Roger Price. Uh, and uh, Greenberg says, my new idea is to write the snob's guide to status cars. And, and uh, <laughs> Price says, eh, I don't know about that. And uh, so they're talking and they both start lamenting about how their Jewish mothers had used guilt to get them to eat. And f- then Mr. Greenberg said, wait a minute, how do they do this? Do they have a handbook on how to be a Jewish mother? And the other guy says, uh, Price says, you know something? That's your book. That's your book. And how to be a Jewish mother uh, turned out to be such a big hit that it was published in 24 different countries. And it was even made into a musical, which had a brief run on Broadway. Uh, Beyond that, Greenberg did write books like What Do Women Want? Uh, (laughs) Which uh, my guess is satirical. And uh, he uh, also was well-known because he was married to Nora Ephron. Uh, for nine years, they had what's called an amicable divorce. Um, you know, he, I once bought a book called How to Be a Jewish Princess. That might be his. It might not. I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. I don't know. But, but he ended up uh, writing children's books, mm-hmm. which is interesting, too. He has these a series called The Zach Files. He had a son, and he was informed by his son. Uh, son's behavior and so he became a young person's writer and they asked him uh, you know uh, what does he feel about that is that a come down after being sort of a big time author he says uh, no not really he says I visit schools constantly and uh, he says there's some ego rewards to being in adult fiction but it's a lot of fun writing for kids and there's nothing more fulfilling than hearing that you've turned a kid onto books so that's fine for me so 
I thought that was interesting. And then it certainly takes us back to uh, guilt and Jewish whatever. Uh, and then finally, uh, Ken McKenzie passed away. And he was a pitcher on the Mets in 1962. Uh, and he had a pretty decent year, although you couldn't have a great year because the Mets lost most of their games. Um, but what was interesting about Ken McKenzie is he went to Yale. And uh, that Yale connection served the um, Mets well later because he became the, the <laughs> Yale coach, baseball coach, and he was one of the people who helped get Ron Darling to sign with the Mets. Ron Darling was at Yale. Yeah. But uh, Ken McKenzie, it was pretty rare, rare as it might be now to get an Ivy League kid in in baseball. And frankly, it's not so rare because Chris Young, the general manager of Texas, was a pitcher in the, in, in the uh, major leagues and Texas just won the World Series with him as GM, and he went to Princeton. But uh, anyway, Ken McKenzie. When Ken McKenzie uh, uh, signed with the Mets, Mets manager joked, that makes Ken McKenzie the lowest paid member of his Yale class, <laughs> which I think was true now. Not so true. Uh, true. True then. Not so true now. So there you go. I thought you were going to say... That makes our team have the highest average SAT scores. Well, it's, well, it's Casey. So Casey was thinking in terms of dollars. Right, and cents. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So what kind of cookies are you going to make now? Hermit's cookies. Oh, those are big. You're going to, you're going to give all those away? I like yeah, the hermit cookies. You, yeah, but nobody knows what hermit cookies are. I know it's what they are. It's an old-timey thing. Oh, yeah. So, no, hermit uh, cookies. You know, and they're going to have little cranberries and Let me tell you something. pecans, if, 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 candy ginger. All right, you're ready to go on that. Golden say, raisins. You could do a lot worse than the molasses. Yeah. You know, they're like soft biscotti. Yeah, I, I know. I'm big a yeah. fan of the hermit cookies. It's, yeah. uh, you know, your last batch the, of cookies wasn't too bad either. The uh, That was from the New York Times Grammys molasses spice or something. Oh, they're very good. They were only good because they have a whiskey icing. You didn't put the whiskey in the last batch. Because I wanted to make them family friendly. I understand, but they're good. But they're like, really good with the whiskey Well, icing. you could be making those too. Maybe you should make two batches of cookies. <laughs> no one's seeing this look. I'm booked. I'm okay. already booked. Okay, go, go, go. All right, so until next week, Merry Christmas. Uh, and uh, say Merry Christmas, Tamsin. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and this is Dan Abuhoff. And Tamsin Granger. Would Tamsin and Dan read the paper? Yeah. See ya. See you next week. Okay. <laughs>